Welcome to the Communities Podcast. We greet you in the precious name of our Lord Jesus, whom we adore, of course. We pray this word will richly bless you and speak to your heart. Enjoy. If you've still got your notes, we, we, we're preaching on fundamentals. And um, the reason why we called this sermon Fundamentals is because if you're part of this church and you want to be part of this church, then you believe that you're called. Amen. You believe that you're called. I believe that I am called. Okay. I've got one witness. Thank you, Vernon. Vernon shaking his head. He's like, come on, speak some truth here this morning. I am called. If you've got your Bibles, Ephesians chapter number four. And uh, I'm going to eventually, when I get right in doing this, I'm going to do this. It's going to work. We're getting there. Ephesians chapter number four. I don't know if anybody has actually used the notes. The reason why we did the notes is so that when you're at home, you can actually sit with your wife and you can go through this together and you can sit with your family. I don't know how many of you uh, share the word with your family or we even talk about Jesus at home. But I, when I went on honeymoon, we went to Cyprus for my honeymoon. I was blessed to go there. And when I went to honeymoon on to Cyprus, I went through Romans verse by verse with my wife. I thought it was pretty spiritual and pretty good to do that. And obviously so many women are here going, wow, I wish I had a husband like that. They would take me through Romans verse by verse. And uh, sometimes what happens is if you grow up in a particular way, like I did spiritually, I kind of like say to my wife, you've got to pray like this. If you want answers, you've got to. And then when she's sitting there going, I'm like, no, that's not how you do it. You're supposed to. And then I get annoyed and then I walk out the room. I'm like, this woman doesn't know how to follow Jesus. And then I leave. But, uh, and oftentimes we can be the reason why people don't come to the Lord. We sometimes are the reason why people don't want to serve Jesus because they see Jesus in us. And they don't like the Jesus they see. And so sometimes we misrepresent him and we forget that we're called to show them how he's like. And so oftentimes you've got to remember that you've become all things to all men so that you may save some. And so in every moment, in every opportunity that God gives you, you represent a God that people need. And so you can't always have this fast and hard rules about something. You've got to be sensitive to the moment. And that's why I love what God gave me a verse a long time ago. And he said this to me in Samuel 1, chapter number 10, do as the occasion demands. And so sometimes you've got to be graceful. And sometimes you've got to extend grace. And sometimes you've got to lay down the law. And sometimes you've got to let somebody know you've got to pull yourself together. And you know how many times that God has allowed me to do that? 1% of the time. You know how many times God has let me tell me to, to shut my mouth, extend grace and love? 99% of the time. The Bible says in the book of Romans where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. In the Greek, the, if you actually take that word, grace abounds much more and you translate it back into english it actually says super abounds there isn't even an english word to come across of how much grace is needed when somebody falls 
Because remember, sin means this, to aim to do something and to miss the mark. Which means that when anybody sins, it means they actually attempted to do something. That was good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to listen to the recording myself. So, I got that when you got that. Jonah, um, the Lord was speaking to me about Jonah since 2012 when I married my first cousin. When I say married my first cousin, we're not those families that heal Billy family and Ilana's not my cousin. No, I mean, I was officiating the wedding and I actually preached from Jonah when I officiated the wedding because I'm a little bit unorthodox like that. I don't just do, you know, God is love and therefore we must just love one another. And one of the revelations that I got from, from the book of Jonah was that there's only two things that come at the price of blood. One is your salvation and the other one is the consummation of your marriage. And that's how God sees marriage. The sanctity of marriage is the same degree that he sees your salvation. They both came at the price of blood. And that's why God honors marriage so much and that's why marriage is so important to the Lord. And that's why when you honor your marriage, you honor God. So, and that's one of the things that I believe that God takes very seriously. And the reason why marriage, divorce, God hates divorce isn't necessarily because of the kids. He hates divorce is because you represent him. And when you gave your word, it was like him giving his word. And because he doesn't break his word, he expects you not to break your word. Psalm 138 verse 2, God honors his word above his name. And if he told you not to blaspheme his name, what do you think he said about his word? That's why you shouldn't twist the word of God to make it work out the way that you should work it out. That's why living your word is so important. And that when you join us on the 19th of November for the men, Ken Axel, who is a man who has been living out his word for 30 odd years since he gave his life over to the Lord, he's going to be sharing on living your word. So I'm looking forward to that and how we can grow as men and should be sharpened. Amen. And so in the book of Jonah, one of the things that the Lord's dropped in this uh, last two weeks in my spirit is we sometimes read the book of Jonah as he is a disobedient prophet. How many of you saw it that way? Right. But I'm going to ask you a question. I like asking questions. Did Jonah run because he was afraid or did Jonah run because he had faith? For those who don't know the story, as a, a friend of mine this week reminded me that he didn't know the story of Jonah. I don't know who doesn't know the story of Jonah, because you, you, that's the one story that you remember from the whole Bible. And in the book of Jonah, Jonah runs, he's from the north of Israel, and he runs away, because God says to him, I want you to go to Nineveh, which is part of the Assyrian Empire. It's not, they're not covenant people. This is not part of the Abrahamic covenant. This is not God's frozen chosen. This is not God's called people. You want to go to a bunch of sinners. In fact, you must understand the Hebrew mindset. The Hebrew mindset is if you're not a Hebrew, if you're not a Jew, you're a dog. That's what they refer to, to Gentiles as dogs. And here God speaks to this prophet who has been pestered his whole life by the Assyrians. And because they used to do raids into the north of Israel. So they used to, obviously him growing up as a boy, they used to raid his village and they used to do all sorts of things. You understand how that goes. And God speaks to Jonah and says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to go tell them to repent or else I'm going to destroy them. So you know what he does? He packs his overnight bag. He gets his little smiktasi, and he runs the other way. 
So did he run because he was afraid or did he run because he had faith? He ran because he was full of faith. So why do you, so he, in other words, he wasn't a necessarily a disobedient prophet. He was a righteous prophet. You're not ready for me this morning. I'm going to mess with you. Why do you say that, Nicholas? Because your Bible says in the Gospel of John, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. When Jonah was in the fish of the belly, the belly of the fish. In other words, he was dead. He prayed and God heard him. you disobeyed because you made a mistake and you ran against the will of God he still saw you righteous because he still raised Jonah from the dead I don't know about you but the only people that God raises from the dead are the people that he likes I just know him like that so so he was raised from the dead because he was righteous and when he prayed while he was in the belly of the fish I know in the English way we see it as he literally got swallowed by a fish and then he was still alive for three days but the Hebrew mindset and understanding of that scripture and if you break it down he, he was dead that's why Jesus said the son of Jonah because Jesus was dead for three days and he was in the belly of the fish so sometimes when you're running away because you're afraid or do you run away because you're full of faith because god doesn't respond to the fear that's why when you're feeling anxious and when you're full of emotion and anxiety kicks in and stress kicks in and you're praying you don't hear god speak because that is in the soul realm and god himself is spirit and he speaks to spirit that's why oftentimes when you're afraid and you pray you don't hear the voice of the lord am i the only one he speaks to people that are full of faith. That's why he spoke to Jonah to convince him to come. That's why the devil attacks this church so much. It's not because of the fancy preaching or because I'm so good looking. He attacks this, this church because the amount of faith that is released through revelation because you need revelation to get faith. So he wants to stop the faith. That's why he tries to kill the revelation. He doesn't care if you have seven services on a Sunday. What he's after is to stop revelation. And if you grab the revelation, your faith grows. And when your faith grows, you become a pain in his backside. That's a nice place to be. So Ephesians chapter number four, we're going to kick it off from verse one. Because I really want you to get this. And I want to get, make it a little bit more practical. If you're part of this church, you believe that you are called. I only speak to people who believe they are called. I only counsel people who understand that they are on the journey to what the Lord wants to do. I was saying to a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago when he was um, sitting with me and he, and he said, I don't want anything to do with ministry. And he was called into ministry and I said, I can no longer counsel you. Because I can only counsel what God wants to do with you. I cannot counsel outside of that. I'm no good there. I can only counsel what I believe God wants to do with your life. And if you partner with God and understand that I'm called by God. So when I speak to you, I don't speak to your current state. I speak to the state that I see in the spirit. 
So I speak to the person whom I believe God has revealed to me in the spirit. So when I speak to people, sometimes they think like, Nicholas, you're putting all this pressure on me. It's not that I'm putting all this pressure on you. I'm putting this glory on you. Because kavod is a weightiness. That's what the word glory means. Honor. To honor somebody means that I honor the position that they stand in. Because the person that they're standing in the position has been glorified to that level. So the word glory and honor in Hebrew is the same. Kavod. Because there's a weight that comes upon you. And how it works is if you're called to ministry. If I could have Leander just come to the front here quickly. Uh, when you come into ministry, just stand before me. Look at me here. When, when, you get, when, you, when you pray for people to stand in a particular position, what they used to do in the Old Testament specifically is they used to go like this. And if his feet buckled, it meant he can't handle the weight. Because of a glory that comes upon him to do what he's supposed to do. Now, when he steps away from ministry because of whatever reasons, he, because he fell into sin, he found a nice pretty girl, and then he ran like Samson, he got his hair cut and all that, and then he loses his power. What had happened is you would come to the, to the, to the priest or you'd come to the person that, was, that anointed you in the first place. They would pray for you to say, we release you. And when we release you, we'd remove the weight that was put on you so that you would not be destroyed because of the glory that you were supposed to operate in and you never did. Thank you. You can sit. Why this is important for you is because when you are called, you are called by God from the beginning. So I'm going to use an, my older brother as an illustration. Because my older brother, he's, uh, because of his names, when you're called to understand and find out what your calling is, you must first look at your name. So for those who want to make notes and for those who want to remember this, understand the meaning of your name and then understand the intention of the name. And I'm going to say something that, and it makes sense to people who are more traditional, because oftentimes grandchildren got the name of the grandfather, not because of the meaning of the name, but because of what was honoring to the grandfather. So in other words, you named your child so that your glory, a weight came upon the child that passed through the family. And sometimes what happens is the child buckles under that weight because he can't live up to the expectation of the family. You see, you see what happens? So your name, so I'm going to use my, my older brother's name because he's got a double barrel name. He always jokingly said this to my mom. Uh, he always said, you gave me a sentence, you didn't give me a name. So his name, his full name is Jean Reynard. Jean Reynard. So Jean is French, which means John. So John means Yahweh is gracious. God is gracious. Reynard means one who is strong or one who has strong judgment or mighty or brave. Right, But the intention of the name Reynard was given to him because my mom, I think, was flipping through TVN the day that she was pregnant with him and saw Reynard Bonke and said, well, this is a good name and gave him that name. So the intention was, I gave you Reynard for you to be an evangelist. Okay. So in other words, your name means John, God is gracious. And the intention of Reynard is that you would become an evangelist. So in other words, every time she says Jean Reynard, usually when she's mad, Jean Reynard, you know, you know your parents, they always say your full name when they're mad. You know, when they love you, they're like, oh, my child. And then when you do something wrong, it's Nicholas. You know, then you get this like, even when, when, because my son's name is Nicholas. So when Ilana calls out Nicholas, I still have the hair that stands at the back of my neck because she has her mommy voice. And then I'm like, did I wash the dishes? Did I, did I leave something on the floor somewhere? Right. So then I get this. But the first struggle that a person will have 
in stepping into their calling is their identity. Their identity is matched to the meaning of their name. Every person has a Jacob and an Esau wrestling inside of them for the birthright. So the first wrestle that my older brother has is number one, to accept grace. Because God is gracious. The second struggle that he will have is that, am I mighty or am I strong? And for those who know my brother, those are the two areas that he struggles with the most, to accept the grace of God, because his name means God is gracious. And secondly, he doesn't want to minister to people because he's afraid that he might cause somebody else to stumble. So in other words, there's immediately a wrestling with his name and a wrestling with his identity. And as parents, when we're praying for him, or as family, when we're praying for him, we're praying that God's calling on his life come out. The identity that God has given him come out. Nicholas means victory of the people. So what is the one thing that Nicholas struggled with? Is I don't want to stand up for anybody. So to get step into your calling is to heal to the meaning of your name. Because when you heal to the meaning of your name, God has extends a certain level of grace for you to step up into what God has called you to do. Because your name was divinely chosen. Are you following with me? Is, is this okay? So, so the first struggle that you will struggle with, and the reason why I made it so practical using my older brother, is because what is the meaning of your name? My mother's name is Juanita. Juanita is Juan. Juan is also John. It's the Spanish version of John, which also means God is gracious. You, you see? Okay. So when, when you healed to the meaning of your name, you healed to first step into what God has called you to do. Because when God calls you something specific, that which he calls you overrides that which which, which is the actual, what you think it is. In other words, what I mean by that is, if God calls Jacob Israel, he is talking to the man who wrestled with God and overcame him. When he's talking to Jacob, he's talking to the flesh man. So when you read in the Old Testament how oftentimes Jacob and Israel was used uh, in, 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 in contradiction with one another. In other words, sometimes God would call him Jacob, sometimes God would call him Israel. Because sometimes he was referring to the flesh man and sometimes he was referring to the spiritual man. So what does God call you? When God speaks to you, what does he say to you? That's what God is calling you into. Are you, is, is, are you, is this okay? So when God calls you, he's asking you to heal to what he named you. I hope this is making sense. So when God spoke to Ezekiel, he says, son of man. Okay. When Jesus referred to himself, what did he refer to himself? Son of man. What does son of man mean? Ben Adam. Son, Adam of man. What does Adam mean? Adam means he's the first man, but he's from the earth. He's from the ground. Romans comes in. Paul writes his thesis to the Romans church and he says, Adam, there was the first Adam, Christ is the second Adam. What did God give the first Adam? Authority over the whole world. So when Jesus refers to himself as son of man, he has authority over the earth. Ezekiel is the only prophet in the Old Testament that had creative miracles follow his whole ministry. So much so that he was likened to a New Testament person operating with the Spirit of the Lord. Because every time God spoke to him, he called him Son of Man. What does God call you? 
I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter number 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, urge you, beseech you, exhort you, I ask you to live what? Worthy of your calling to which you were called. In other words, represent God in such a way and understand that which he has called you into. Right? Verse 2. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. I want us to go to Proverbs 6. It's in the notes, but if you want to follow in your Bible, you can go to Proverbs 6, verse 16. Being part of this church, you understand that you are called. Finding your calling, the first place you start off with, is the meaning of your name. If you understand what you were called, you would understand that most of your struggles are there. I hope you're getting this. Because when, when you begin to step up into our identity and understanding who God has made you to be, the first thing that you will struggle with is your identity. It is your identity. And if you know who you are in Christ, nobody can move you from that position. And when I, when I say the intention of the name, it means that the, the, spiritually, it's a principle, and I don't want to go ahead of myself, so I'm trying to just go slowly. But the intention of the name will always surpass the original meaning of the name. And that's why I use my older brother, because my older brother's intention of the name was Reinhard, so that he would become an evangelist. So Reinhard means evangelism in his context, but the name Reinhard means one who is strong and one who is mighty. So... And just so that you understand this. So in understanding what does your name mean is the question I'm asking. Why were you given that name? What do people call you? Does that make sense? Okay. So I like to be called Nicholas because that's my full name. When you call me, and I'm going to use my father here, so I'm going to talk out of the house. I might not get invited for lunch. But they, growing up, they called him Nicky. Nicky, right? Because his name is Nicholas as well. One of the nicknames for the devil is Nicky. Ask his family how he was growing up in the house. <laughs> because you will always live up to your name. You will always live up to what people called you and why they called you what they called you. So what empowers the name is the meaning of the name and the intention thereof. This is very important for you to understand. I want you to get it. I'm looking at some blank faces, but I want you to get it because part of what God has called you is linked to your name. A friend of mine's name means leader of lions. The one thing that he struggles to do is lead people. He doesn't want to because he keeps saying, I'm, I'm not good enough. I can't lead people. And the more he resists what he was called to, the less he will step into what God has called him to. Make sense. Somebody he works for is called Paul. The name Paul means little one. The one thing that that guy struggles with is he has these big dreams and these big visions and he gets, keeps getting annoyed because he can't get there. And the reason why he can't get there is because he is struggling with his own identity. Remember Saul changed his name to Paul who says, I am the least of these. I am the little one. And therefore he decreases so that he may increase. Remember John the Baptist. When John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And then he looked at Jesus and he said, He must increase and I must decrease. And oftentimes we think that means that we must become less. It's not necessarily that we must become less. When you decrease, it means that I need to relook at my foundation. Because he's the one who builds the foundation. He's the one that I stand upon. 
So when I decrease, I must go back to the beginning of what everything actually meant. So I must decrease because I need to go back and understand what I stand on. So in other words, it's not so that you become so little pitiful you and sitting in a corner somewhere feeling sorry for yourself. It's got to do with relook at the foundation. That's why when John the Baptist's head was taken off, the reason why his head was taken off and he was beheaded because there was a new head in town because Jesus became the head of his church. And the church was at what it is, was it, he, the church is that which Israel was. Israel was a type and shadow of the church. John the Baptist, he represented the old order. There was a new order in town because we had to relook at the foundation. You with me? Okay, Proverbs chapter number six. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Whenever you're interpreting scripture, you must ask the question, why? Everybody say, why? Why does this guy who is writing the book of Proverbs, most of the Proverbs that are written in the Bible is written by Solomon. He's one of the wisest men of his time and of, in fact, all time. What does the number six stand for? The number of man. What does the number seven stand for? Spiritual perfection. Yes, these are six things that the Lord hates. Fleshly things. Yes, seven. In other words, he hates them with a spiritual hatred, a perfect hatred. David writes this and says, I hate your enemies with a perfect hatred hatred and therefore when you see things like this you must pay attention a proud look i'm gonna stop right there what got the devil chucked out of heaven his homosexuality his uh, gamification his what got him got what got him chucked out the fact that he put his money in the wallet in the pocket proud Pride. What is pride? It's when you think so much of yourself that you think better of yourself than of other people. I say this because the church struggles with this. All of us. The first thing that God hates, a pride look. A lying tongue. This is so important. God says this, Jesus says this in the book of, of Matthew, and he talks about the devil, and he says, the devil was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. If you think that your white lie doesn't mean much, why would Jesus compare lying with murdering? How bad is murder? How many of you uh, think it's easy to take someone's life? It's hard. Imagine if we had that same thinking about the way that we lie. He was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. Because a lie is just as powerful as killing someone. Because life and death are where? I knew you knew your Bible. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift in running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among the brethren. Think about that. I want that to set in. Because every single time you speak against somebody, what did you speak against that person with what intention? And why did you do it? And how does God feel about it? Every time you raise your tongue against the pastor, against the preacher, against the apostle, God will wipe you out. Right? 
What about the person sitting next to you? What about your own family? What about that boss that you work for that's related to the devil? What about that guy? Why does God hate when we, when we sow seeds of discord? Why does he hate division? Why does he hate divorce? Why does he hate separation? Why? I'd like you to ask yourself that question. I know it's cold outside and I know I'm giving you a bit of a heavy message. It seems like it. But I want you to ask yourself this question. Why does God hate these things? And then ask yourself this question. How are you guilty of these things? And the reason why I'm asking you why you're guilty of these things is not to point the finger at you. Because I am the first one that is guilty of all these things. I am pointing them out to you so that you may have the opportunity to repent. That you may have the opportunity to confess your transgression. I am pointing these things out to you because division is a work of the enemy. And division will remove your power. Why do you need power? Well, because you can't just preach the kingdom of God with fancy words. You also need power. And what will follow the signs of those who believe? The raising of the dead, the healing of the sick. And the reason why we don't see that in church is because there's so much division that happens inside the church. And so when God says, walk worthy of your calling, he is also saying to you, the part of your calling is to bring unification. How hard is it to unite people? It is extremely difficult to unite people because people have their own ideas. Right? They have their own ideas. They have their own personalities. They have their own minds. How hard do you work to bring the unity in your church? How hard do you bring the unity in your family? What does it cost you to bring this unification? With all loneliness, gentleness, with long suffering, Ephesians 4, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. God so badly wants you to walk with unity. He so badly wants you to have unity because there he can have the power and he can display his power of his kingdom inside his church. And when the church isn't operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's because they're not united. It's not because the Spirit of God is not upon them. I can walk into churches and I go, ooh, the Spirit of God, ooh, I can, the presence of the Lord is thick here. It's like, ooh, and nothing happens because there's no unity. Because brother so-and-so is against brother so-and-so. I have even heard of horrific stories of a church where they were having a church meeting, like a board meeting. And the guys got so angry at each other that they got up from the table of the meeting and physically assaulted the other person. In the kerk. In the church. Like what happened to all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering with one another? Did you guys forget that? It's so badly because I want what I want. That I will go after you. And Peter, what I love about Peter teaching on submission, he was the head of the, the, the church in Jerusalem and he was talking about submission. He made himself the least. He made himself lower and he said, submit by the way that I submit. Because sometimes when we think submission, we think hierarchy. And that's not how it works. What I love about Paul is Paul says, I'm, I am the least of these, but yet he's the one who did the most in 2 Corinthians 5. He did the most of all the other disciples and apostles. And he says, not that I did it, but the grace that works in me that did it. There is something about when you have met God that you make yourself less.
The minute that there is a thinking of yourself where you say, I will ascend to the most high. I will sit above the stars. These are the things that the devil did in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. You can read them up that he did when he was Lucifer and then became Satan. Satan means adverse one. Lucifer means light bearer. He was the light bearer until he fell in love with his own light. And how often do we do that? And I have observed men that have walked this road before me and they have gone on and served the Lord and some of them have messed up gloriously. Not because they sinned, but in fact because they, they came across as if they've never sinned. And those who come across as if they've never sinned are so blinded by their own righteousness that they don't know God has left you. As Saul would come to know, King Saul, when he was still anointed, because the gifts and the calling are irrevocable, they are without repentance, Romans eleven twenty nine. But Saul did not realize that the Spirit of God had left him. Samson did not realize that the Spirit of God had left him. David, scallywag, sinner, but because of his sin and because of his flesh issues, he would always come back to God running, saying, create in me a clean heart. I don't deserve anything good. See the grace that God extended to him. And I'm asking you this morning, what's the condition of your own heart? Because in order for this church to move forward, in order for this church to see the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, we need unity. And sometimes that means keep your trap shut. Keep your mouth shut. And keep a clean heart. Matthew chapter number 13, Jesus talks about the seeds that he sows. And he talks about the, the very words of God is the seeds that he sows. And so he speaks these words. And these words are ever, they are life changing. They are life altering. And he speaks these words, but some of them fall on hard ground. The ground that he is talking about is your condition of your heart. Some of these seeds fall on stony ground. Some of these seeds fall on the ground that the birds of the air, which is always symbolically associated to demonic presence, picks up and takes away. The reason why some of you are unable to grow in your faith is because of the condition of your heart, because the soil and no good for no seed to stay. Not because there was a lack of seed, but because of the soil that wasn't good. I say this again, it's not because of the lack of seed but it's because of the condition of your heart is the issue. It isn't that God isn't speaking, it's that we're not listening. And oftentimes, this is what happens when we're called. This is how it works. Richard, I just want you to come to me, please. I'm going to use him as an example. Can I use Richard as an example? Charles not yet, so I have to pick on someone else. So what happens is we have a meeting with God. It's wonderful. Blessed time. Joshua is up here singing. Sounds a little bit that raspy voice that he's got going on. Mr. Iron Bell himself here is also singing us. And Brahm is doing whatever Brahm does on the guitar. And they're singing. And, and all of a sudden we have this meeting. And then there's a great altar call because the great anointed preacher, that's me. He, he's the guy that calls. And they come. And I say, do an altar call. And we mess with you. We, you know, as preachers do, psychologically, we play with your emotions. And we say, oh, yeah, but, you know, you've been such a bad person. Come, the Lord loves you the way you are. And then you make this emotional dedication to the Lord. And we say, oh, here I am, God. I've met with you. And, and then this is great. And I'm called now. When we understand that I'm called. And I'm called. And you have this meeting with God. 
And then God begins to speak to you and show you great things. And you're sitting in your room and you're crying a little bit. And you've got nice time and you make a few notes in your Bible. And you're called. And this is the problem with most of us. Do you see the problem? Do you see the problem? I called him. And he stopped. He stopped following me. The one who called him, and he stood where he was. Do you see the problem? We stop following him, and then we hear nothing. And then we say, God, have you forsaken me? Where are you? You put me out here. I gave my life over, and there's nothing else happening in my life. Why? Not because God stopped calling you, my brother and my sister. It's because you stopped following him. Because when, you, when God is speaking, you're supposed to follow him where he goes. That's how the calling works. That's how you live in the calling. So wherever God goes, you're supposed to go. And oftentimes the reason why we don't live in our calling is because we've stopped following him. Thank you, Richard. You can sit down. Because when God calls you, he's ever moving. Show me one place where God stood still. The only time he stood still is when he stood still for you. The only time he stood still is when he said, Samuel. Samuel got up. God saw Samuel got it wrong. But Samuel still moved. And then he said, Samuel. Samuel got up. And he saw Samuel got it wrong again. But Samuel still moved. And then he said, Samuel. And then Eli said to him, my son, it's not me who's calling you. It's God who's calling you. When he calls, this is what you should do. And then from that moment on, how many times did God have to talk to Samuel? Three times. Never, because he understood that this is the voice of the Lord. And this is the problem with the church today. Is oftentimes we hear him calling. And we responded when we gave our lives over to him. And then we stopped. And we no longer followed him. And then we hear nothing. And then we say, oh, the reason why Nicholas is up here is because he's called and I'm not called. No, you were called. The reason why Nicholas is standing up here isn't because he's called. He does what he does, not because he's called. He does what he does because no one else is doing it. Because God will find someone else to do what he wanted to do. And when God calls you, he's expecting you to move forward with him. And if you want to hear the voice of the Lord, go back to the time that he spoke to you last. Because he's always telling you to do something. Some of you it's telling you to do something. Some of you it's becoming something. I sat in front of a man and he asked me. He was unemployed for 12 years. And he said to me, Nicholas, why am I unemployed for 12 years? And I prayed. And I said this. God has called you to pray for the Afrikaans people. That's your job. Intercede. You know what he does? He goes, mm -mm. he looks for a job. He's still unhappy. He still doesn't have breakthrough. He still doesn't living in what God has called him to do because he refuses to yield to the calling of the Lord. Because we're always trying to make sense of things. If I don't work, how am I going to pay the bills? But if you did what God called you to do, he pays the bills. How does it work? Let me explain to you. When I went to Nash, I got a job. I didn't want to take the job because I was called into ministry. And I prayed and the Lord said, take the job. And my mother, 
She's like, Nicholas, you will take this job. She's like, I'm not feeding no bum sitting at home. You better get this job. Don't be unemployed. And I was like, okay, I'll go take the job. So it was a bit of a convincing. But it, but it was the Lord who told me to take the job. And the more money I put into what the Lord called me to do, the more the Lord began to bless me financially. The more I took the money for myself, instead of what the Lord wanted to do, the blessings just went like this. You know when the heart doesn't beat anymore. The more I gave myself over to what the Lord wanted to do, the more the Lord provided. The more I yielded to the voice of the Lord and saying, okay, God, do what you want to do, not because it pleases me, but because it pleases you, the more the Lord provided. Why am I telling you this? Because some of you have these questions. Some of you have these questions because you're saying, but Nicholas, if I do what the Lord's asking me to do, I'm never going to have time to, to you know, serve my wife. I'm never going to have time to spend with my kids. I'm never going to have time for all these other things that I want to do or need to do. How many of you feel like that? But the more you healed to doing that, the more God gives you time back. The more you give to the Lord, the more the Lord gives back. Walk worthy of your calling. When God has called you into something, when he has called you into something, walk worthy of it, represent him well in what he's called you to do. Because when I called Richard as a demonstration in front of you, I am the one that had the purpose to why I called him. I never spoke to him before the time. I never said to him, Richard, I'm about to put you on the spot and call you. I carried the purpose. It's not Richard's job to find out what my purpose was. His job was to hear the voice of me and listen to it. You don't need to know the end plan is what I'm saying to you. You need to be in the moment with the Lord. Walk worthy of your calling. I wish you would get this. I don't know if I'm making sense. Last week I was stuck on this verse because I wanted you to show you that there was a very big God. He was a very big God. He's a very big God. And he called you. You're a very small person, very small person, very small person, and he still loves you, and he's still interested in you. If you go Google Maps and you zoom all the way out, and you zoom all the way back in, you found out very small how Gauteng is. You found out very small how Krugersdorp or Wilbur Park is, or Walterfreden Park is, or Ranfantin is, or Pretoria is, or wherever it is that you live. It's a very, 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 very small place, and it's very, very, very far away from Israel. And so where God is really, 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 really interested in, that's what he fights about the whole holy land that's why there's so much conflict there it's about the land the whole end time is going to happen around that area and we are very 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 far away from that and he is still interested in you he still cares about what you care about and he will still do something you're like oh god i'm not i'm not going to do anything unless i'm married he's like let's just get a wife for this guy get him a wife so that like you can do what i want you to do he is so interested in you I hope you're getting this. I don't know why I'm stuck here. But I sense, I just have it in my spirit that you need to begin to realize that you are called and you need to partner with the Holy Spirit and that you need to understand you are not too old. Moses was called when he was 80 years old. God had a plan with him. At the age of 40, he was a general in the Egyptian army. In fact, many people believe this, that he was, he was pivotal in uh, Egypt, actually conquering the land of Cush and conquering the land of Cush. And that's why he married a Cushite to make peace with the Cush. The, the, the Cush was a 
very powerful empire that existed before the Egyptian empire. And Moses was pivotal in that, 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 the winning of that, that battle. And God still had this plan with him. And when he was 80 years old, God called him. How many people here are 80? Right. So, if God can call an 80-year-old old man, he can call you. There is a plan for you. Timothy was 17 years old when he led 150 to 250,000 people in the church of Ephesus when he was made the bishop of that church. 17 years old. How many of you are younger than 17? Only Caden in the house. So Caden, get ready. God's about to do something with you when you get 17. Two years, brother, and then you're leading a church of 250,000 people. So understand that it doesn't matter your condition. It doesn't matter how single you are. In the Jewish custom, you only needed 10 men to plant a synagogue, in other words, a church. So when Paul had that understanding and he wanted to plant the church of Philippi, he couldn't find 10 Jewish boys. That's why the woman Lydia becomes the pivotal person when they planted the church of the Philippi, the Philippian church. You read the book of Philippi. He couldn't find 10 men that were willing to give their lives over to Jesus, so he did it through a woman. You, you understand that you, your gender is not an excuse to God. How much money you have is not an excuse to God. How poor you are isn't an excuse to God. Ezekiel lost his wife at a very early age. She was not there, and God says to Ezekiel, you can't mourn for your wife because I've lost Israel, my wife, and I can't mourn for her. Therefore, you must show these people how I am. And so he, Ezekiel's ministry went off that way. Isaiah, the guy, there was... the. The prophet Isaiah, the eagle-eyed prophet, was related to one of the kings. He was the cousin of the king. It doesn't matter your position where you're in. It doesn't matter your condition. God has a calling for you. God has a purpose for your life. God wants to do something with you. And the way to do that is to partner with him. Number one, understanding the meaning of your own name because God gave it to you. What does God call you? If God keeps calling you Johnny and your name is Paul, know that God is speaking to Johnny and he's trying to get Johnny to come out. With whatever your name is God is a calling for your life. Whatever your condition is, God is a calling for your life. Understand that. I want you to grasp that. I wish I had one person, at least one person in this room that would understand that they've been called by the Lord. That the fact that the most high God who sits above the heavens, the king of kings, the one who has been there from the beginning to the end, the one that lives in your yesterday, the one that lives in your tomorrow, cares so much about you that he would call you and he would call you by name. I wish you would get that. I wish you would understand this because I sense in my spirit that people on, they're not stepping up to what God's called them to and that's why this country is in the condition that it's in I want you to understand that the power of your calling is linked to how you are united to your brother and your sister that is next to you. Jonathan needed a David and David needed a Jonathan. Without a Jonathan, David couldn't be. Caleb needed to be there in the corner of Joshua so that Joshua could say that these giants look like bread before us. Uh, Caleb needed a Joshua next to him. God doesn't send you out one by one by one. He sends you out two by two by two and the power exists in the unity. Matthew chapter number 12, if you will. It's in your notes. It's, it's there. I'm going to pick it up from verse 22. I, want, I hope you're getting this. Just touch somebody next to you and say, are you getting this? You need to get it. Because the deliverance of your family hangs in the balance. Because the power of your, pray, of your prayers for the deliverance of your children matter when dad and mom are in unity. The reason why your children aren't being delivered is because there's no unity in your house, so there's no power. 
the reason why the church hasn't seen the miraculous power of God because there's no unity in the church, therefore there's no release in power. Because we have heart issues. We have issues with one another. Every time uh, Warren comes to me, he says, Nicholas, we must position the fan this way. I'm like, oh, Warren. And then I need like another hour of prayer before the time, before I can get into unity. Every time I'm like, why are the lights on? We asked Leander to switch the lights off every time we worship. And now they're worshiping and the lights are still on. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, help me. And I'm like, this Leander doesn't listen. This Leander is so hard-headed. He's stubborn. It's like, hello, wall. Where's the problem? No unity. Why is there no unity? Because Nicholas has an issue in his heart. Why is there no unity in your house? Well, have you seen who I'm married to? No. You are the problem. Because if he can love you regardless of how you are, why can't you do the same? Because the same spirit that is in him apparently lives inside of you. So if I need grace, why can't I extend it? Because sometimes when my wife trips up, I'm like, That's why I don't swear, because I pray so intensely in tongues. Because it helps me. And then I'm like, Lord Jesus, why doesn't she get it? Why doesn't she get it? Why doesn't she get it? And God says to me, Nicholas, it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. I'm like, yes, Lord, I know, because you've been good to me. Why can't you be good to your wife? I say this, I speak in hypothetically because some of you have this issue. Some of you have this issue in your family. Some of you have this issue in your heart. Because it's easy to judge someone else. When I'm married to someone like Monet, his bald head freaks me out. So I understand when I'm looking at it. I'm like, Lord, how can I love this man? And the Lord's like, I will give you eyes to see. And you know what the Lord does with me? I don't know if he does the same thing with you, but he always brings these difficult people in my life. Not like Monet. Monet is wonderful. He's the only one that's wonderful. And the Lord, you know what the Lord does? Every single time a difficult person comes into my life, I see them through the cross. Because when I can't love you, I ask the Lord Jesus why he loves you. And when he shows me, I can't help but love you. And sometimes I have loved people knowing that they'll stab me in the back. And then I'm like, God, I've got to do something. And the Lord's like, hang on, was I not an example for you? Did I not go to the cross knowing that they'll crucify me? Why can't you be more like me? Oh, I wish I was in a church like that. Matthew 12, then one was brought to him, who this, this is Jesus, who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him. Jesus healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? And in other words, they understood in their language, could this be the, the Messiah? Verse 24, now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, fellow, what is Jesus' name? Jesus. What does Jesus' name mean? Anybody here know? Savior. His name is, means Savior. Okay. I just thought I'd say that. I'm waiting for it to sink in. What are you called to? Look at your name. 
if he did it with his own son, will he not do it so much more with you? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, the fellow does not cast out demons except Beelzebub. By Beelzebub. Now that meant, they all understood this. It meant the Lord of the Flies. That's what Beelzebub means. But it also means, again, culturally, it means by the, the prince of demons. In other words, Satan. He casts out devils by the devil himself, is what they were saying. The ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew the thoughts, their thoughts, and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand how can this marriage work when you're constantly bad-mouthing your spouse how will these children be successful if you keep saying smack about them what about your grandchildren if you keep talking ill of them, how will this house survive? But my parents were wrong. Does the Bible say that you should judge your parents? What does it say? You should honor your parents. When did God give me in the position to judge my parents? Never. So how long am I going to blame my mommy and daddy issues on me not being successful? How long am I going to blame them for my issues when are you going to get over it when are you going to build a bridge and walk you're a 30 40 year old man 50 year old man 60 year old man you're still blaming your mommy and your daddy when are you going to get over it hello am i speaking to anybody what is your job honor them but god did you see have you did you see the father that i grew up under he stands my dad stands before god one day and god will ask him about me and the condition of my own heart he has to stand before the lord as i have to stand before the lord for my children vengeance is mine saith the lord it doesn't matter how dysfunctional your parents are it doesn't matter how dysfunctional your family is what's your job in all of this but my wife i'm trying to plant a church lord and she's acting like a hooligan Look at the scoundrel. I can say that because she's next door and I'm safe. Right? Look at her. This Jezebel. Right? Because we like doing that in the Pentecostal church. Every woman that looks a bit funky, we call her a Jezebel. Right? Look at her. What's my job? What's my job? To love her. To love her. I love the words of Jason Upton. Man, every time that guy wrote an album, it was for me. Literally, he would write an album for me. I had this guy that came against me in the church, and I've shared the story before, but it was so powerful. I've got a, it's just so good. The lyrics are so good. I wish you could get it. I wish you could get it. But the song called Table, 17 minutes long. For those who get irritated by music, don't listen to it. Maybe fast forward a little bit. But 17 minutes, his song. One song, 17 minutes. That's my kind of worshiper. And so he's busy playing a song, and he says this. This is the lyrics. He says, to sit at a table. And look into the eyes of a friend and forget that he's my enemy. To see how I can be. To see how I can be. Oftentimes, God allows persecution in my life just so that I can see how I can be. And oftentimes, the reason why God glorifies me, in other words, he promotes me or he puts more weight on me, is because I reveal to you more of him 
and the way that he is. So when I get hurt deeply, it's just an opportunity for me to forgive deeply. When someone stabs me in the back, I do it with a smile on my face because I'm becoming more like him. Because his brothers betrayed him also. So when they talk smack about me, I say, thank you, Jesus, I'm doing something right. To see how I can be. I'm not saying it's not painful. I'm not saying that you have to come and see me for 12 sessions of counseling and maybe throw me some money in the event because I do a lot of work in that. But I'm not saying that you shouldn't do all that. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. Some of you have been through horrific situations where parents have molested you. I know that. Where people have done horrible things to you. I know that. Where people have stabbed you in the back and it's painful. I know that. But you have a God who can show you how to forgive because he forgave. Know that. I want you to receive that. Because all of us have pain. All of us have hurt. How many of you have been hurt? Look around you. Keep your hand up. Look here. The only person that hasn't been hurt yet is Judy. She's cool. So she can't relate to all of us. But all of us have been hurt. And God knows that. God sees that. But then this is what Jesus says. He says, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Your house, and when I say your house, I mean your name, will not stand if there is division. My wife and I don't even cut the grass unless there's unity. So when the grass gets too long, she goes, Nicholas, look at this grass. I'm going to say, baby, we're gonna come, when, you, when are we going to get into unity? Yes, it's a pain to live with me. I know. But it's a principle. It's a principle. We don't put bricks down unless there's unity. Because I understand there's no point in building this house unless her and I agree Otherwise, this house will just come down. What do I need to do to become one with her? You need to die. What did he call you to? Come, follow me. Pick up your cross. Die to yourself. We are not here for this church to make it comfortable for you. This church was never for any of you. I drove past when it was Warren Bianca's wedding. And I drove in Pretoria and I saw this church and I thought it was quite interesting. Cornerstone, a church for the people. And I was like, where's Jesus? Because the church is not for people. The church is for him. He is the main person why we gather. I did not gather to do golf with you. I did not gather to go play squash. And no, don't come visit me at my house. I have friends. We come together for one person and one person only. His name is Jesus. What is the most important part of the service? The wonderful articulation of my preaching. No. No. The most important part of the service is worship. Because preaching is a consequence of sin. We preach because we fell away. But if Adam never took part of that fruit, he'd still have to worship God. Worship is the most important part of the service, not the preaching. It's not how wonderful I articulate. I only articulate because you're such a sinner. I articulate to preach the will of God so that you may know him.
But when you came here, you came to worship. And this church is about Jesus. It's not about people. That's what it's about. That's why we call the sermon fundamentals. Because if you understand that's the foundation of this ministry. And if you don't like it, I can send you names and lists and addresses of a few churches where they make it about you. And it's very comfortable and you've got clubs and all kinds of stuff you can join. And it's fun. But when you come here, you understand it's about God. And when you make it about God, it doesn't matter how many times Leander figures to switch on and off the lights. It doesn't matter how many times Jeremy puts the wrong batteries in this. It doesn't matter how many times Warren does whatever Warren does. What matters is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's everything is Jesus. It starts at the cross and it ends at the cross. And the cross is always before me. That's what it's about. So when I look at you, I look at you through the veil of the blood that was there for you. That's why I can look at some of you and it doesn't matter how sinful you are. I can still sit with you and love you because he loved you. And the only people I don't love is the people he doesn't love. Okay. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. Verse 26. Then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? I want you to stop there and I'm going to close off there before Cindy falls asleep. I, wanna, I wanted to point that out. Watch what Jesus does. Watch what Jesus does. Stay with me. Stay with me. He casts out the devils. They accuse him. They say to him, you do this by the power of Satan. Think about that. His name is Yeshua. That's where we get the name Joshua from. Now you know what Joshua's occupation is. To save people. Right? Yeshua. He comes to save you. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He came for the very people that persecuted him. He casts out a devil of someone and heals him from being blind and by being mute. In other words, he heals him. He delivers him. I don't know how many of you have had medical issues where you keep sucking tablets to survive. I've had. So when someone heals me, I'm like, thank you. <laughs> you know, I just do a little dance. I'm like, what else do you want, Jesus? I'll give you my credit card, my bank card, whatever you want. And here they tell him, you're doing this by the power of Satan. The very person who made them sick. And then what his Jesus' response was, who do your sons cast them out by? The devils. You missed it. I'm going to hang out with you. How do you cast out devils? By the power of the Spirit of God. How do you receive the Spirit of God? By first coming to the realization that He is the Messiah. Right? In other words, you might hate me and persecute me and say all the ugly things about me, but I'm still going to save your children. I'm still going to pour my Spirit upon your children so that they may go and heal people and save them and deliver them from the demonic oppression. How good is God? I will visit the generation of the third and the fourth of those who hate me. And you think that is him being vengeful. But in fact, it's him appearing and revealing himself to those who still hate him to find out whether they still hate him. Do you still hate me or will you come to me? Whom do your sons cast them out by? In other words, you might stand here and persecute me, but I'm still going to pour my spirit upon your children so that they may cast out the demonic oppression that has caused this man to be blind and this man to be muted. There is only power when there's unity. In other words, you hate me, but I'm going to work a work in such a way that your children will come together. 
you hate me and you don't like me and you despise me, but I will still bring you together. And I will still have Peter preach his little 18 second sermon. And the Spirit of God will fall on 3,000 people. And the tongues of fire will be upon their heads. And they will receive the Spirit of God that will cast out the demons that have oppressed my people. Everyone say unity. God calls you to come and become one. He's not going to rapture you go, boop, boop, boop. That's not going to how it works. It's not, it's not Star Wars or what's the other story? Beat me up, Scotty. Star Trek. That's not like that. When he comes, he doesn't come for Vernon. He doesn't come for Monet. He doesn't come for Reuben or the weird oak sitting at the back there. He doesn't come for you one by one. He comes for one church. He comes for one body. He comes for one person. Those who are caught up in Christ. Amen.